violence that's colonial virus gentrification that's colonial virus mass incarceration that's colonial virus we can't take no more of this colonial virus uhuru welcome to the people's war radio show i'm dr matsumela odom and i'm awambi tangu uhuru means freedom in swahili and freedom is on our minds 24-7. Our guests today are Tasha Williamson and Alfred Durr, both born and raised in Los Angeles County. On September 12th, a gunman opened fire on two Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputies at the Willowbrook Blue Line Transit Station in Compton, California. The deputies were taken to the nearby St. Francis Medical Center in the neighboring city of Linwood. Outside of the hospital, protesters gathered not in support of the officers, but in support of the community chanting, we hope they die. As we record this program, there have been no arrests in the case. Many residents assumed that this attack on the police were in response to a series of recent police killings and to the decades of police containment and abuse against the black community of Compton and Los Angeles. On June 18th of this year, Compton deputies killed Andres Guadardo near the border of West Compton and Gardena. And on August 31st, 29-year-old bicyclist Dijon Kazee was hunted down, chased, and murdered by the same agency. A whistleblower, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Deputy Art Gonzalez, has attributed this violence to white nationalist gangs within the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. These gangs are prevalent throughout all of the sheriff's stations. The Compton Gang is called the Compton Executioners. Compton, California, in the neighboring communities of South Los Angeles and Watts have been terrorized by the Los Angeles Police Department and the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department for decades. Just about a mile and a half north of Compton city limits is the epicenter of the Watts Rebellion of 1965. Just a few miles west is the epicenter of the 1992 Rodney King Rebellion. In the late 90s, a scandal within the LAPD Ramparts Division just west of downtown Los Angeles further exposed the state's attack on the African community and the counterinsurgency through the use of police, the illegal drug economy, gangs, and the prisons. In 2000, by a vote of four to one, the Compton City Council voted to disband their local police department. Compton signed a $12.3 million contract with the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. The contract has now swelled to $22 million annually. Since expanding their jurisdiction into Compton, there have been many high-profile killings of unarmed Africans and unarmed Latinos. In 2003, deputies murdered DeAndre Brunston, claiming he had a gun on East 126th Street in Compton, just blocks away from the Willowbrook Transit Station. Brunston was in fact holding a flip-flop sandal. In 2016, also in Compton, Sheldon Lockett was beaten by Deputy Sam Aldama and Mizraim Orengo, who eventually left the sheriff's department. These same deputies murdered Dante Taylor later that year, leading to a widely publicized trial against the deputies in which they were exposed as being members of the Compton Executioners. Our first guest, Tasha Williamson, is a dynamic woman, celebrated activist, and powerful advocate of justice against white power and police departments. She is co-founder of Hotel Vouchers for All and San Diego Compassion Project. In early 2020, 
She ran for mayor of San Diego, gaining over 25,000 votes. Tasha Williamson has fought in courts, on the streets, in City Hall, in front of city officials' residents to expose the relationship between the policies of violence and imprisonment against Africans and the corruption within these departments. Our next guest is Alfred Durr. Alfred Durr is a father of six children and born and raised in Compton, California. A former standout athlete, Alfred has seen the best and worst of life in Compton, California. Currently, Alfred is the co-host of the podcast Cool Talk, where they discuss everything from sports to politics. Alfred is a fierce advocate for the African working class on everything from his opposition to gang profiling to his support for healthy eating and exercise. With only five months separating them in age, Alfred is also the first cousin of Dr. Matamela Odom, me, co-host of the People's War radio show. Welcome, Tasha, and welcome, Alfred. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tasha, in our opening, we mentioned some of the Africans murdered by L.A. Sheriff's Department. Another case was on September 10th when the Compton Sheriff's Department busted down an African man's door engaged in a shootout, resulting in the African's death. Many of these killings have been tied to white power organizations operating within the L.A. Sheriff's Department, like the executioners. What do you know about these groups inside of the Sheriff's Department? Yes, so we know that there's over 17 uh, gangs uh, that operate in the jails uh, and sheriff stations across the state of California. Um, Some of them um, locally are the Bandinos, the 3000 Boys, the Regulators, the Linwood Vikings, um, and then the Compton Executioners, uh, which Matsumelo mentioned as well. Um, They have uh, done heinous crimes, planted evidence, uh, lied in court, uh, falsified uh, police documents and records, um, and even have murdered um, people um, uh, in what uh, we have determined by other witnesses in cold blood. Um, They have planted what are known as ghost guns um, at scenes. Uh, And all of this is uh, corroborated by uh, one of their own um, who came forward uh, to talk about uh, the gangs within the sheriff's department. Tasha, is it true that only whites and Latinos are allowed to join the executioners? Uh, It is. That is correct. Um, Within the sheriff's gangs, um, my understanding within all 17 of those gangs, um, that these are uh, well-known white supremacist gangs uh, that are operated up and down California, uh, and they are made up of whites and Latinos um, who also brandish certain tattoos, uh, colors, um, and benefit um, from stealing property, um, as well as criminal activity uh, is using drugs, Um, stealing inventory, um, stealing money, um, and other things. Ammunition and other guns have uh, been lost in inventory across the state of California in uh, local sheriff's stations as well as inventory, and then also on people uh, that they stop. Right. The the whistleblower Gonzalez uh, noted that a large number of the executioners have been involved in high-profile beatings and shootings. In fact, The cop who killed Guardado, Miguel Vega, has been identified as a Compton executioner. 
I wanted to ask you what you know about former LA County Sheriff Lee Baca, who was sentenced to three years in federal prison for lying about the abuse of prisoners in LA County jail system, which the LA sheriffs oversee. And didn't Lee Baca also step down in 2014 after being the LA County Sheriff for over 15 years when there were 21 deputies that were convicted of corruption and abuse? Uh, yes, he did. Um, Lee Baca, um, for all accounts, was the, the ringleader um, of this. He covered up for officers. Um, he actually served time for uh, the stuff that he, the abuse of his power um, and the crimes. He did not serve the time that we would have served, but he did serve time. He had to step down um, and uh, he was aware of all of the abuse um, and negligence and murders that was happening under his watch. Uh, and that blue wall um, and silence was was thick uh, when he was uh, the head sheriff um, until he, he left and resigned. And it is still, um, the culture has not changed. It is still systemically the same. Um, infested uh, with violence uh, and criminal activity. Uh, and, you know, they have to hold these officers accountable. Um, they have to give them longer jail sentences and they have to lose everything um, in order to change the system and get rid of them. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Because as we'll talk about later on in this interview, I also think that what we really uh, could be aiming for, should be aiming for is what uh, we like to call a black community control of the police. So uh, in that vein, Alfred, you were born and raised in Compton, California, as we noted. On May 25th, George Floyd was brutally murdered by police in Minneapolis, sparking mass protests worldwide. Just three weeks later, on June 18th, an 18-year-old security guard named Andres Guadardo was killed by Compton deputies. We saw powerful resistance from the community in Compton, even brothers on horses which people don't even know, Compton got horses. And South Los Angeles, just as we've seen in response to police violence around the U.S., can you give us an on-the-ground report of that resistance in your community? I mean, yeah, it's um, Compton particularly was, was honestly a lot better than the areas around as far as being more peaceful. You know, it wasn't, it, it, like, they showed a lot of bad stuff around L.A., but Compton had more of the, you know, more conscious people out there, more of the people who, who have a lot going on in their life. You know what I mean? That, that, that have, you know, that, that really feel connected to what's going on. Whereas there's a lot of people in the city that there's people in the city that just are disconnected. You know what I mean? Compton ain't just going to let outsiders come in and, and disrupt, you know what I mean? So it was organized. It was consistent. You know what I mean? And it was it was the leaders were there, you know, the and they don't understand Compton has a lot of city leaders. They were there. Everything stayed really, really like celebrities came out, you know, athletes. And it was I mean, it was strong. And and it was it was in, you know, just like everybody everywhere else, they were they were off. But it was the I, I really I, from my city, of, like in particular, I was really I was really uh proud of how how we came out did i see westbrook was westbrook at one of those over there in uh russell westbrook the basketball player wasn't he at one of the ones in compton 
Yeah, he 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 good he good friends with uh Demar Derozan who who grew up over there in the Willowbrook area, um over there where uh you know the pocket hoods are. He grew up over there in West and he got a lot of good friends from L.A. You know, surrounding cities. So Derozan and, and Westbrook are real cool. So Westbrook came out and supported and uh he and he he Westbrook always got his feet on the on the um on the pavement out here. Yeah, yeah, he was real close with Nipsey Hussle, right? Yeah, real good friends. Him and his brother Ray, they um, they they was close. They were real close with uh, Nipsey, and still are close with a lot of his friends. We know that a lot of the ones that are out there still keeping the businesses going and 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 doing that. So they they are still close with them and still doing business with them too. So so yeah. So if you think Nip was still alive, what do you think Nip would have to say right now? A whole lot, and it would all be profound and it would all be relevant because he because he, that he's always the smartest man in the room. It would be a lot of stuff going on outside of this that wouldn't be going on, honestly. You know, there'll be a lot of stuff not going on now that like if a lot of stuff going on outside of the movement that's unnecessary that we don't need and he and leaders like him have a voice to stop. But yeah, things would yeah, Nip would have a whole lot of profound thoughts on, on everything. Right, right. And I know that's for a whole other episode, but I think you know, you got to assume that here's a brother who was always under police surveillance and they're going, you know, just out of nowhere, let an informant go get into an argument, go back to his house, get a gun and then come and get this dude that we know was under constant surveillance. I think that sort of that there speaks to the overall message of this episode here and the corruption and the police. The corruption. Yeah, it's, it's gangbanging. Let's call it what it is. That's what they're doing. They gang. They just add them to the list of all the gangs in 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 L.A. County. They they are one of them. They just the biggest one, and they got backing. They got backing from the from from the state and the right. county and the city. You know. Right, right, right. Thanks, thanks for that. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that. I wanted to ask you, Tasha, the DA said that the shooting of the two deputies was the result of anti-police protests. Do you agree with that statement? Uh, no, I do not. I, I believe that the, the shooting of the two police um, was because of the, the treatment um, that the community has grown um, very tired of, um, that there's a, a you know, a generational police breakdown of communication and building bridges um, with that community. Uh, and the atrocities that have been committed and witnessed by that community led by police officers, specifically sheriff's deputies who are part of the executioner's gang. Um, there was also a post of uh, the woman uh, deputy that was shot that she was actually at a most recent um, homicide um, shooting where she was smirking and smiling. I'm not sure of the validity like of the post, but uh, this is something that um, is definitely frowned upon um, in the community. Uh, and, you know, they have to better the relationships. It was my understanding that also people arrived at the hospital um, from that community um, and in protest um, of the two officers who had been shot. Yeah, that's right. As I was saying, you know, the people were up there protesting, saying that they, you know, we hope they die. And that was that was uh, in the news as well. Correct. Um, I even think that um, the mayor, um, Aja Brown, talked about uh, the atrocities that the communities 
of Compton have uh, endured under um, not just the sheriff's deputies, but before that, the Compton police that was disbanded to even allow the sheriff's deputies to have a contract um, with Compton to do more of the same corruption. Yeah, thanks for that. Because, Alfred, in the same vein, the L.A. County Sheriff Villanueva has targeted LeBron James. James has been arguably the NBA's most vocal critic of the police killings of Africans. Villanueva has demanded that LeBron James match the reward to find the suspected shooter. After voicing his anger on the death of Breonna Taylor last week, LeBron responded, no comment to Villanueva's demand. What do you think about that? It's a joke. That's what I think it is. I think about it. I think that's a, it's a joke because at what point has he has he demanded LeBron to pay to pay for the reward of any other people, any other black or brown bodies that laid in the streets of Compton ever? He asked any celebrity to come and hey, I'm, I'm putting a, when do you ever put a reward out for a regular citizen's murder? Because it's happening often. You never put a reward out for nobody else's murder. Your deputies are injured in gang violence. And now you want LeBron James to put out money. That's why it doesn't deserve a comment. I mean, it's it the it's a joke in itself because you're basically saying my officers got shot now. LeBron James, you it's your fault. It's not our fault for, for letting gang members wear uniforms and go out and do gang activity. It's your fault, LeBron, because you got mad at the stuff that we do. And people heard you, and then that's why they shot us. No, they sh- they got shot because they were because gang members shooting gang members, and that's just what it is. And he and that's why I say it's a joke because the what why I say it's a joke is because he stood up there with that contrived speech, and he knows exactly why they got shot. Everybody knows, and he knows the people he's talking to knows. And that's why I didn't even deserve a comment. It doesn't even deserve the, the reporter. The reporter who asked the question should be ashamed. You don't justify that with with giving it attention at all. And that's the thing about it is every time they they they're looking at all the symptoms and and pretending like we don't see the big old disease. And LeBron James did exactly what he should do: put him on goofy time and ignore him. <laughs> Goofy time. This this is a real Compton interview, y'all. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, man, I, I, um, Alfred. So, Alfred. Speaking of that, no comment. The black community in Compton got a no comment too. Sheriff in the wave out there trying real hard to dangle some snitch money out there. Uh, over three hundred thousand dollars and hundreds of thousand dollars from private interests as well. Uh, but nobody's talking. What do you think about the fact that there's been no arrests made after like three weeks? Can you also talk about how the black community has responded to Villanueva's demand and call for info to solve the case? Yeah. Once again, how often do you do this with when all the black and brown bodies are laying in the streets? Do you call for this much? Do you demand the community help you? You don't because you don't care. So we care as much as you do about yours as you care about ours. So. Once again, firstly, um, let me answer the question as what what what's being said? Nothing, because that's how gang violence works. Gang members are shot and nobody says anything and nobody is talking and nobody. Honestly, I, I 
I've been in Compton recently. I've had, I got a bunch of family still in Compton that come over and visit often. And honestly, they don't care. It moved on. It's just another, I mean, so many people have been shot since. They are talking to me about people that they know personally that recently got shot. They're not talking about that. That's just, that's just two members of a big old gang that got shot. I mean, that it's, it's every day in LA. Right, 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 right. I asked somebody from Compton what they think about it, and they said, and 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 they responded that uh, they think the Lakers going to win. So um, that's the biggest concern in all of Compton right now is people love the Lakers, celebrating. People who hate the Lakers are arguing. They don't care about that. Nobody, nobody, because they, those, if those two, those t- same two officers, and not, and I'm, I, I'm not saying this as a, as with a lack of empathy, but those same two people laying up in those hospital beds, never cared when it was us laying in the street. Thanks for that. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today are Tasha Williamson and Alfred Durr. In his 1996 series in the San Jose Mercury called Dark Alliance, The journalist Gary Webb exposed the actions of the United States government in imposing heroin and crack cocaine as chemical warfare designed to crush the Black Revolution of the 1960s. Tasha, in the 1990s, the deepening of the U.S. counterinsurgency against the African community was exposed in the issue with the Ramparts Division of Los Angeles Police Department. Can you tell us about the Ramparts Division and what happened? Yeah, I think... um... Shortly after um, the CIA came to Watts um, to discuss um, kind of in a town hall fashion, after many discussions about how the CIA's involvement was in in the crack epidemic, um, there began to be um, this uh, federal probe um, because people uh, were going to prison um, and complaining about uh, that they were innocent uh, and that, or they had no, um, if there was a weapon there, they said we didn't have a weapon. And then uh, there was uh, an investigation launched. And um, in that investigation, uh, the Rampart Division scandal happened. One of the lead officers, Rafael Perez, um, was arrested um, and began to talk because they were going to give him a lot of time. They found that hundreds of cases had to be overturned. There were millions of dollars lost in settlements and lawsuits, and people had to be freed um, from prison, had to have their arrest records uh, erased, um, and uh, the federal government actually had a decree uh, which is an agreement to have oversight um, over LAPD for uh, the next few years. And I think it went on for for several of those years um, before they no longer had a federal oversight, um, which is, means the feds came in and had control of the Los Angeles Police Department. Through that, they found out um, that the crash unit Um, was one of the most rogue um, and lawless units uh, within the Los Angeles Police Department uh, and was uh, stationed in the Rampart Division. They were 
uh, allowed to do any and everything. And they had no supervision, even though they had chains of command. And so over 70 officers, I believe, were terminated. And every officer within Rampart Division um, that was left was moved to other divisions um, outside of, uh, of that division. And so Rampart Division was basically disbanded and they had to start over. Uh, and the feds had complete oversight um, into what that start over looked like within LAPD. But Tasha, let me ask you a quick question though, because they disbanded the division, but they did, did they disband the laws that they put in place to empower people like Ramparts, the crash unit, the uh, OSS that the sheriff's department had? No, they did not. Um, they did not uh, completely change the culture. So that culture um, was deep within Rampart Division. Um, but it also was deep within Los Angeles PD. And so Rampart Division was just where the scandal happened. But the entire police department was rampant with officers who were criminals. It was a criminal enterprise. Alfred, the other day we were talking about how the police are a military force that contains the black community. What are you seeing in Compton? Yeah, well, uh, I'm seeing the same thing I've been seeing since I was a little kid. I mean, it's never, it's, it's, they are exactly that. They are an occupying force, but it's like, we don't, it's just like, it's just like when the U.S. invades poor countries. They're just, it's on a smaller scale. Police do the same thing through our neighborhoods that the military does through Fallujah is they ride around and intimidate and they do whatever they want whenever they want and they'll tell you that that you'll tell them about your rights and they'll tell you they'll tell you they don't care about your rights you know and they don't say it in that in those words but you start making a fuss and they they start getting physical and then they will take you to jail for anything that they can take you to jail for just for just for talking back basically like a like a parent does a child they're they are they're worse than the occupying force they're basically they're basically what the mob was in neighborhoods back when the mob was prevalent. So Alfred, tell me this. How young were you when you first experienced this sort of police terrorism? Because I can remember me and you, not even 10 years old, walking maybe to the park and the police drive past us and put the little gun fingers at us and go bang, bang and stuff like that. And we weren't even 10 years old. So how old, how young were you when you could remember your first experiences of police terrorism? Well, that was the light stuff. Like, that was the light stuff. Well, they started doing that stuff to us in Compton, like really early, you know, kindergarten, first grade, stuff like that. And they, they rough your parents up in front of you, rough your uncles up in front of you. But we've like, that was just normal stuff for us growing up. I don't like as far back as I can remember, I remember them beating the hell out of my uncles and my dad and my, my older cousins. And then they waited for me to get about 12, 11 or 12. And then they started grabbing me and my friends, dri- walking down the street, dribbling basketball, throw us on the hot hood of the car, throw us in cuffs, throw us in the back of the car, and tell us we look like we we look suspicious. That's all they would give us is we look suspicious. And you talk too much, and they they get physical. That's what we children. I mean, talking sixth, seventh grade. That's as far. That's what I remember. 
you know, and then from that day on, it just kept going. It just became consistent. And then it becomes a part of your life when you see them and they look at you and you look at them. There's just a certain kind of eye contact you make with them where you everybody in the, that's with you knows what's about to happen. And we just brace for it and we get through it and we survive and then we go home. And it was just normal. No, we didn't realize the trauma, but because we didn't it, it just when you when trauma becomes normal, it's not trauma anymore. It's just normal. Yeah, that's real talk. Thanks for that. That's real talk. Yeah, Uhura, I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah, and I know, I know all of us on this call have experienced, um, you know, a lot of the same things. Um, I wanted to go ahead and shift over to you, Tasha, and you know, pretty much pick up where we left off. And the last question: you spoke about the Rafael Perez case, and have spoken about several other key cases that have led to exposing these agencies. Can you tell us about some of the other key cases that have gotten the LAPD and LA Sheriff exposed? I just want to say, um, you know, too, before we go forward, Alfred, what you said was like so right on and like our people need to understand because trauma is not something that, you know, we're not taught about trauma like our ABCs. Um, we just we just have to, you know, to deal with it we are terrorized in a neighborhood where we are supposed to be loved and nurtured and grow. And we supposed to survive um, knowing that, you know, it's not right. And so that was really deep what you said. And I hope that people understand it's not normal what we have to endure and what our, what has been endured before us. Muambi, to talk about what you're saying, there were a number of brawls that happened uh, in the 80s, the late 80s, um, all the way through the 90s and into the 2000s. These brawls, bar brawls, were actually sheriff deputies and Los Angeles PD officers um, that were fighting among themselves. Um, and they were in different gang sets. And it came to light first with LAPD, um, of which they wound up firing a captain and several other officers because this was found out in this brawl and they were actually using police phones and police emails in order to discuss gang activity during uh, work um, and off work, off um, their work time, but on their city emails. Um, and once that was found out and researched, investigated, I should say, um, they were um, terminated uh, and others were uh, disciplined. Within the sheriff's department, uh, just recently, the new sheriff is saying he is going to use a heavy hand in dealing with um, the officers in the most latest uh, bar brawl um, that is related to gang activity within the sheriff's deputies department which leads us to believe that everything that the officer who is the whistleblower um, in the sheriff's department said is absolutely true. Um, going back to the 18-year-old uh, who was just recently secure, a security guard that was just recently murdered and um, somehow a ghost gun appeared uh, next to his body and his family is saying that that is not his gun and we know that officers um, have planted these ghost guns next to bodies of people that they have gunned down 
so that we believe that this is uh, an element of their gang activity uh, and how they justify the homicides that they commit. And then they go and get fresh ink um, tattoos to celebrate um, those murders that they committed. All right. Yeah. So they banging, banging, like you banging, but then you be banging, banging and they yeah, banging, banging. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. They, no, they most definitely are, are banging, banging. And so, um, you know, again, like Alfred said, um, people are not in Compton. Um, I have family there as well. They're not talking about these police shootings because many of these police officers um, or sheriff deputies, as they're called, have terrorized uh, this community as gang members, not as law enforcement and heroes. Um, we need to be clear uh, to those people believing that, you know, all law enforcement are heroes, that, you know, good officers speak up and, and arrest their own. They are protectors of uh, law um, and community. And when their own show up and are criminals, they will deal with them. And when those officers are silent, they are not good officers and they are not heroes. And so uh, for me, I do not see heroes um, and good officers uh, when I look out into the crowd, because many of them standing next to gang members and criminals um, and con artists and have said absolutely nothing, uh, which makes them conspirators. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why, um, you know, we we really uh, work to, you know, just expose the fact that they're just a part of the whole international colonial system. And, you know, the police is, you know, just the same as the corporations and the government and, you know, all of these are a part of the white power, you know, uh, parasitic capitalist system. So I really appreciate, uh, you know, you bring a light to all these different things that, you know, give evidence of exactly what the People's War show is about. You're welcome. So Alfred, in 2000, the LA Sheriff Department took over jurisdiction in Compton. After the Compton Police Department was disbanded, this opened the door for an onslaught of sheriff deputies in the streets of Compton. With the sheriffs controlling the county jail and having jurisdiction over Compton, how do you think this increased the sheriff's ability to target Black people and Latino people on the streets of Compton? So, yeah, I can't remember exactly the year, but I remember, I remember what was happening. And they got organized like the Compton Police Department was corrupt. Don't get me wrong, but they were not organized at all. They got they got organized like a criminal organization organized. But if they were military, they were trained like like the military and the things became different. Nobody went to jail for like little stuff that they used to go to jail for. They went big or they went, they, it was go big or go home for them, you know? And it, it turned into, it really, it really turned into a real occupation. You know what I mean? They were, you would, we started counting the minutes in between cars because it became so, so many, like every say three or four minutes, you'd see a car going in one direction. They'd be going North and South. And then they'd be going east and west and then they'd be going north, south, east, west. And it was just like every four minutes. And it was just and that was just right there on one corner. So you can imagine what the rest of the city looked like. And the the Compton, the Compton PD was 
like I said, corrupt, but they weren't really they weren't really as violent. Like they didn't really want to get violent. They kind of they were a small we we were a small city, so they were a small station, and they you kind of knew everybody. After that, after they after the sheriffs took over, you didn't know anybody anymore. Like they didn't know you. They they the people who were like they came so often that you would get to know them, but it was kind of it wasn't the same thing. It was it it changed into more faces that didn't look like us you know and they it it became you know even like the the interaction between gangs and the police before was kind of like hey i know where you sit you know where i sit we you know let's keep this let's keep this cordial you don't you don't make my life hard i won't make your life hard but it became more of where they come and smile in your face and talk to you and then take you to jail you know and then they they get you to, then they start telling you, it, it became normal to just get kidnapped for a couple of days just to see if you'll tell them something about something going on in your neighborhood so they can make a big arrest or they can go get some guns or they can go get some dope. Like, and then they started stealing drugs and selling drugs, stealing guns and selling guns. And it, it just, I mean, it got, it, 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 it got to where it is now real fast. Let me say that it got to where it is now real fast and it's been consistent. And it's once again, the people have been desensitized to it in the city. Like it's normal there and it they don't know that this is not normal. That's how bad it's got like that. When the sheriff, the sheriffs have ruined the city way worse than it was. And if that and we didn't even think that was possible, man, that's real. Uh, that, that, that last statement that you just said about we didn't even think it was possible is absolutely real because. Uh, I think that you're correct. One of the demands of black community control of police is the ability to hire and fire, but also that the police live within the community. So what you really underscored was the way through which uh, the police really became this external force imposed upon Africans in Compton and even Latinos in Compton. And in many ways, a part of the gentrification scheme, because what many people don't know is the average house in Compton is still over $400,000, but you got families that have lived there for a long time. So to go, in many ways, I think you got people say they want to turn in Beverly Hills, not so much, but I do think they want to turn Compton into Downey, into Paramount, into Bellflower, or something like that, where they could push out the, the, the community there and move in. Uh, these more middle class communities uh, of Africans, of Mexicans and stuff like that. And 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 in that sense, the police is a part of that occupying force. You're listening to the People's War Radio Show produced by WBPU Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today are Tasha Williamson and Alfred Durr. Tasha. We know that the U.S. government was involved in bringing drugs into the African community. Now we see the illegal drug economy also used as a means to criminalize and incarcerate Africans. How have you seen the sheriffs use the illegal drug economy to continue the assault on the African community? Most definitely, I, um, you know, we are all aware uh, from news reports, cases, um, FBI reports and studies or Fed reports and studies that uh, numerous deputies have been arrested uh, for trafficking 
uh, paraphernalia, such as phones, drugs, um, and other contraband into the jails um, at some of the highest uh, prices. Uh, that we've seen phones going for thousands of dollars, iPhones going for thousands of dollars to be smuggled in and drugs and and so forth. Um, These deputies are um, pretty much the traffickers as well as the enforcers um, to make sure that um, the supply and demand is kept up uh, within the uh, criminal justice system uh, where they say they are um, reforming individuals, but 90% of the people that are incarcerated come out um, addicted to some form of drug, whether it be pharmaceutical or drugs trafficked in by, we know, uh, our deputies, some deputies. Right, right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, are there any uh, specific cases that you can talk about that were key in exposing that relationship between the illegal drug economy and the role of the special gang units and how you're talking about the growing mass incarceration and just all of that. Yeah, well, we know that the gang unit here in San Diego um, is considered the Wild Wild West uh, police uh, unit of the department. They're allowed to uh, get away with um, excessive force, um, abuse, theft, Um, all kinds of crimes that are committed against community members. Um, They do not follow and abide by the same policies and procedures um, and laws that uh, other uh, law enforcement um, are forced to abide by. And for that, we know that they, like in Los Angeles, the six officers or or three officers um, that they have been illegally uh, documenting uh, folks um, onto the gang database, uh, and we are just waiting uh, for the feds to come in and um, start to investigate uh, the gang unit here in San Diego. Hey, um, Al. Hey, I know I know you trying to get in on this action. I'm trying to hear what you what you got to say about this. Uh, can you go back go back to the beginning? What was what did you ask her originally? I want to make sure I'm I'm answering the question correctly. Yeah, just basically about um, like different cases, you know, just the whole relationship between the whole illegal drug economy and the gang units and, you know, just mass incarceration, how that's tied together. Oh, man, let me tell you, it's it, it, it's as, it's as the the police and and crack cocaine is as old as crack cocaine. So by that, I mean. They've been stealing dope since people been selling dope. They've been involved in the drug trade just as much as any as as any freeway Rick in in L.A. Like only they don't have to buy the drugs. There's no overhead for them. They they steal drugs. They sell drugs. That's their major form of of, of revenue is they steal dope from dope dealers and they sell it to other. They'll sell it to your enemy. They'll sell it to your competition. They'll, they'll do it. They'll sell it to each other. Like, and it's, it's, it's a, it's common knowledge at this point in the street. You know, it's, com- it's been common knowledge for a long time. Training day was, was, they did not have to sit down with a pen and think very long about how to write those scenes. The scenes have been written already. They, they just, they just took, they just took stuff from real life. 
I mean, they that's just that's how they always operated. That's how, that's what they do. And I mean, as a as a as a childhood victim of Cointel Pro, I'll tell you I'll tell you like this. They they separated they separated my family with that with that poison. They my dad was addicted for uh, 20 plus years, about maybe 26 years. He was he was addicted to crack. And that was I can tell you right now, they all the drugs and all the guns were delivered. They were not. They we nobody knew how to manufacture none of that stuff. We didn't know. We didn't have coca plants in Compton and Watts. They delivered them right there on the train tracks in Watts. Train stops, bunch of guns and and a bunch of guns in there, and they had literally, they literally had people come in the neighborhoods teaching drug dealers how to cook crack, selling them the sell them the guns directly. I mean, it was. The, these are they they're posing as criminals they're just agents of the government and like that and the police are just lower level members of a much larger gang like we can go into that another day but as far as their involvement in drugs oh man <laughs> it's as old as drugs thanks for that alfred how do these groups within the sheriff's department use programs and policies focusing on gangs to kill and lock up africans as we noted there was an incident with the current mayor of Compton, Asia Brown, an African woman who was raised in Compton. She was pulled over and treated the same as all other black people get treated when they get pulled over in Compton. In August, however, she came out against the sheriff gangs, but now she's backtracking some of her statements. What do you think about that? Keep it real. Well, let me tell you about Asia Brown. Just I ain't gonna, I'm not going to go into a whole lot because I don't know as much as you know, I'm not going to act like I know everything, but I, I can tell you right now, Asia Brown is driven by money. And if any, if there's any backtracking, it has to do with her pockets. And I understand she's a black, she's a, she's a black woman and she's in a position of power, but we've had, we've had people who look like us in a position of power in our city many times before. And the outcome's always been the same. I don't believe, I, I, I can't say, I can't speak to her intentions on, uh, on, when she first when she first took the job or when she first got elected but i can tell you politics eats compton mayors alive and the money does as well and if and i can tell you right now she did not get pulled over by happenstance at all there like you said like like tasha was pointing to there are gangs within gangs within gangs and there's rivals and she's the head of one side or the other she is not sitting in the middle. I'll tell you that right now. So that pullover was intimidation. And as far as her backtracking, Asia Brown does what's convenient for Asia Brown. That's just, and that's, that's me telling you straight up as a, as a former citizen of Compton, I live, I live right now, 10 minutes South of Compton. If that maybe five, I live in Carson, California. And I can, and I can tell you right now, everybody knows what Asia Brown is about. She's not fixing streets. She's not doing, she's doing the same thing. Status quo, not making waves. She has her side and her side protects her. And the other side is just like, you know, like let's get back down to the, to the root gang violence. It's, it means the, the gang activity. She, she has to get involved, you know, she can't afford to be Switzerland because then you're a target of both sides or multiple sides. In this case, it's kind of, you know, with as many gangs as they got going on. But, you know, Asia Brown is the, the, the pump up was 
just like Barack Obama you know, on a smaller scale. It was just a, it was it, we got we got sold a bill of goods, and then when we got the package, it, it looked like Wish sent it. You feel me? <laughs> Oh man, this is the best episode. This episode is definitely Compton, South LA. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Yeah. All right. So, Mwambi, Uhuru, after all we heard this episode, it seems the only way out of this situation is Black community control of the police. Yeah, for real. The power to fire, the power to hire, set pay schedules, deploy officers, where the police must live in the same community that they patrol, so they are accountable to that community. Uh So I offer one last question. You have always been conscious, but I've seen your activism rise to new levels during the coronavirus pandemic and following the murder of George Floyd. You have signed the Africans Charged Genocide petition at africanschargedgenocide.org and called on other family and friends to do the same. You are fighting for a better future for your children, for your hood. You also advocate fiercely for your relatives and younger homies in the Anzac Grape community of North Compton who have been unjustly targeted by the police. Are you optimistic about the struggle ahead? Yeah, I mean, if you if you if you ain't if you don't if you're not optimistic, why are you doing this? At the end of the day, you know, we're not going through the motions. We're doing this for a result. We, you, we, you don't, you don't fight to lose. So, at this point, yeah, I'm optimistic. I'm always, I'm, I'm always going to be optimistic about us because of the strength that we hold. You know, the strength that we naturally are born with and carry throughout our life, and the strength that we're forced to have, being citizens of this place, of this corporation called the United States of America. So, being I'm, I'm not we're not here you got to be optimistic we're not here to lose you know so at the end of the day yes i'm optimistic because of it at the, but at the end of the day the strength is going to be in the numbers but the awareness is spreading rapidly in comparison to the last 50 years the age of information is one of our biggest allies and also something we fight against on with with the enemies but to you you always going to be optimistic because we're not going to ever stop i mean we we may not win while we have breath in this vessel but we will win i mean it's it's the progress is already happening we're already getting the consciousness out there within our people and that's really what we need we don't need i mean if we can just get people who look like us which people don't have to understand that in this on this planet we are the majority because we're on every continent if we can get Everybody who looks like us to buy in, yes, with the optimism is is a is a is is an understatement. It's a it's it's almost it's it's guaranteed victory if we just stay the course and keep raising the consciousness of the people around us and letting that spread like a germ, and that's how we win. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree with you, Tasha. You were born and raised in South Los Angeles, just blocks away from where the Watts Riot Rebellion of 65 began. In recent years, you too have been making leaps and bounds in your activism and political consciousness. Most recently, you publicly exposed the links between white nationalists and police in Southern California. We know it's a big fight ahead of us. Are you optimistic about the struggle? 
I am optimistic, but I'm also a real realistic. Um, I think that, you know, Coretta Scott King uh, said that in every generation we were going to have to fight um, for um, justice, equality, and freedom. I mean, I, I think I added two additional words to her quote, but um, that has reigned true um, through the generations that in every generation we are fighting um, for the right to be human beings. But we have to be realistic that that fight is not going to be without loss, without trauma um, and and terror um, that we have all witnessed or um, been victims of. And so I think that we need to understand that we have to unify, um, not just in marches and rallies, um, but also um, with dollars and property. Um, we have to build a unified economic um, stability um, and development that grows because we know that uh, money is power um, and our freedom is political. So we must make sure that um, when we begin to uh, grow and rise that our money is also growing and rising because that is where our uh, wealth uh, will be built um, and sustained for generations. Uh, and that we will be able to uh, simply uh, be stronger um, in, in all aspects because we cannot just be strong in numbers as a people. We have to be strong um, in economics, uh, in, in social equity, um, and, and established um, political um, parties. Uh, so we, we have to create our own systems uh, for our own people. I love that. Uhuru, 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 uhuru like a mug, you know, I can't own a podcast, but uhuru, yeah, I like that, I love that. Yeah, this was great, this was great, everybody. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today were Tasha Williamson and Alfred Durr. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, healthcare, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit APEDF.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast on wubp.podbean.com. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Ankh, visit developmentforafrica.org. We'd like to thank our guests, Tasha Williamson and Alfred Durr, for joining us today. We'd also like to thank you our listeners, for tuning in. Y'all can talk about all these viruses, and that's good, but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, bro. Down with the colonial virus. 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 Down with the colonial virus.
why I can't live. Can't live. Colonial virus is why I can't, I can't breathe. Colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. You gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more. Down with the colonial virus. 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 The colonial virus is why I'm poor. The colonial virus keeps me at war. The colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more. So we say, down with the colonial virus. Down with the colonial